Anyway, let's see. Let me get this thing up. Did I turn the sound off? Well, I hope that as we go through this thing, we end up having a lovely, relaxed Father's Day at church. But oh, no. after we clear up some confusion. <laughs> you know, stir us up before you settle us down. Yeah, I'm sorry. You got to stir us up. I'm stir you up, and then I'm going to settle you. It's supposed to eat before you start. <laughs> that, oh, I know. I'm sorry. Marie gave me, Marie gave me this uh because I got this little cough. Because you get cough from. I'm messing with you. I got. It. I've done it before too. <laughs> um. Anyway, there's a scripture, First Corinthians chapter uh, 14, verse 33. Where Paul writes, he says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, <clears throat> as in all the churches of the saints. Now, when you think about the idea of confusion, what do you what would you think would be the opposite of confusion? Clarity. Order, in other words, if something's confused, mm -hmm. to make it orderly would be a, a similar idea, right? But Paul says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Now, we're going to see where the actual, I mean, spiritually speaking, okay, the opposite of confusion is actually peace. You see how that, that actually works. You know, there is somebody in my life that knows me better than anybody in the world, and I actually know her better than any other person that I know, and that's my wife, Marie. Matter of fact, Marie, I'm telling you, she knows me so well. That she actually knows what I'm thinking before I think it. It's unbelievable. She'll and she'll tell me. She'll reveal that to me from time to time. But uh, but you know, Marie doesn't uh, possess me in, in in a way where she actually really does know my mind, my thoughts, my motivations. He doesn't, doesn't have that capability within her, and I don't have that capability within me to actually know her thoughts and motivations. I wish I did sometimes, believe me. It would help me understand life a lot better. <laughs> but uh, but, but it's, it's a curious thing that we all have individual minds and thoughts and motivations. Every single one of us is completely unique, completely different, and completely separate from the people who are around you. You realize that? I'm not you. You're not me. You don't know my thoughts. I don't know your thoughts. So it makes us distinct individuals. Now, we can know about one another 
and we can uh, have a good understanding of one another, but we can't know one another. And I believe that this is probably a part of, a, kind of an integral part of what I'd like to talk about today. Now, I have a question to ask you. Do you think that there is much confusion that exists in the world that we live in today? Yeah. Actually, I believe the term confusion is extremely uh, integral to what we're observing in the world today. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we would think there's a lot of confusion in the world today? Come on, talk to me. Everybody <laughs> has different opinions. Everybody's got different opinions. Absolutely. People are fighting. Mm -hmm. Well, I got to tell you what I think. Because we are all different like this, we all have different thoughts and ideas and concepts and beliefs and all of this. It's one thing to have those things. It's another thing to be bombarded with other people's thoughts and ideas and concepts. You hear where I'm coming from? Yeah. And on social media today, you turn on Facebook or one of these other, Instagram, whatever it is, Twitter, and you are confronted with a myriad of thoughts, ideas, and philosophies, both spiritually from a religious perspective and from a look, philosophies, ideas, religious theologies, governments, government ideologies, all that stuff is out there and it is all in our face. What is that? What happens when that happens? What happens when we're confronted with all of these ideas? Confusion. It causes confusion. Now, Just for all, for all of our, I don't want to say benefit, but it is an explanation <laughs> for why we get confused with all of ideas that are out there. People are really looking for assurance. They want to have security. They want to have confidence. And the way we develop those types of things, security and assurance, is we find some belief system from which to operate. And once we start believing this certain way, it causes us to feel secure because this is my way. I've adopted this way. And that way for me is the best way it can be. But in the, as we're developing this way and we're being bombarded with all the other thoughts that are out there, it, it starts what? Questioning what your way is. Does that make sense to you? Mm -hmm. Because now that you feel all secure because you see things like this and these people are telling you something different, it's like, I don't know. But I'm gonna tell you where, I, I gotta tell you, you know, you talk, the scriptures talk about demon possession. I don't know necessarily, I mean, I really this is definitely not the gospel okay but 
sometimes I wonder when you think about people who are, are mentally stricken that something causes them to be mentally stricken. Sometimes it's physiological reasons. I mean, that's if it's physiological, it's just something completely beyond their control. But plenty of people are disturbed. And the reason they're disturbed is because the confusion that they see in life has them overcome. And the way they react to that confusion is in bizarre ways. I think that that's a big part of what demon possession is. There, you're evaluating all of these things that are coming at you in the world and are overreacting to those things, paranoia, all these types of things are reactions to the things that are coming at you at us in the world. <clears throat> now, how would you think, what's the best way to like begin to overcome that confusion? Shut their mouths. What's that? <laughs> Shut their mouths. <laughs> well, guess what? We can turn off the voices we know are not of mm -hmm. truth. Right. If something is not true, just turn that thing off. Don't listen. Don't entertain something when you immediately come to grips with the fact that, man, that's just not true. I'm turning that thing off. What else? What other ways? So one of the definitions of confusion is instability. Mm -hmm. So if I can find something that gives me stability, that will help me to overcome that confusion. You're getting ahead of us a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Shame on us. No, but that's what you're right. You're right about. Well, what plenty of people try to do is this, okay? And this is pretty interesting when you think of it from a spiritual perspective. Plenty of people will, uh, so you got this thing that you believe. It could be completely off the wall, cannot be true based on anything. But you have this life platform, this life philosophy that you operate on, okay? And you see all this stuff. So you say, I'm not going to let this thing overcome. So what you do is you become further entrenched in the very thing that you believe in. Now, can you imagine? not believing something that is true seeing all this stuff coming at you from all these different angles and becoming more entrenched in what you believe that may not even be true so to say turning it off oh i'm not going to let it affect me oh, i'm going to let myself uh defend myself from all of this error that uh, that's out there and you may possibly not be believing what is true. That could be a problem, couldn't it? The other thing is, you can see things that are not right and rebuke them. I mean, really, like, be kind of like these things that you view are wrong. What does that cause? It, it, it causes more confusion, and it also causes enmity. In other words, between you and the people that don't believe like you believe. 
And you can say, well, I'm just not going to be persuaded by anything that's not the truth. Now I'm going to show you the way the scriptures talk about dealing with confusion in all of these voices. Turn with me if you have your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, you got a phone, so you got a Bible. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. Now, listen to what uh, John writes. He said, oh, by the way, of all the, the ideas and ways, I mean, some of those things have some basis in reality. I'm not going to listen to things that I just know are not true. I'm also going to uh, not allow myself self to be swayed by those things. Sometimes I just won't look at a whole bunch of stuff. I'll try and just solidify more and more what I believe. But I got to tell you, it's kind of like I said, you've got to be believing the right thing. If you believe in the right thing, you want to get solidified in that which you do believe. If you believe in the right thing. So the issue is this. What is the right thing to be believing? That guards you against all the confusion that exists in the world. This is 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. John writes, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby ye know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus is of God is not of God, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. So John tells us to test the spirits, to see if they're of God, right? Test them based on what? What would we test? In other words, if there's a philosophical idea coming to us, or just the ideas that are on Facebook, or religious theologies, or governmental ideas that we think are going to bring life to us, how do you test these things to see if they are of God? What, is, what does he say there? Every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is of the world. Okay? So, all of these ideas, theologies, uh, philosophies, whatever, they are of the world. And if we're smart, we would test that and say, man, is it really testifying that that what's coming to me here is from God, is testifying of Jesus, is his death, birth, resurrection, the life he's given me, the, the forgiveness that I have in him. It, it is, are these things actually being communicated to me? And if they're not, what you do is you discount them. 
Now, what do you think I mean by discount them? I mean, you know, we all have a, our political parties, okay, that we gravitate to or certain ideas and stuff that we all have. But how do you how do you discount something that's coming to you that you know is of the world while we are living in the world? Anybody got a thought about that? Well, you realize that it's it's not the core of your life. If one person believes the American flag means this, and another person believes the American flag means that, that's fine. But it's not a priority as far as your life force. Absolutely. That's I couldn't have said it better myself. You just look at these things and you say, that is not where my life is coming from. This this thing. All of these systems and ideas and thoughts and theologies and everything, that's not where my life comes from. But our life does come from somewhere. And that's what we're going to look at. So, as we continue on here. So this is uh, verse verse 4 in chapter First uh, John chapter 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world now who is the he that is in the world i mean is the whole world satan possessed don't say yes <laughs> it's not but there is a belief system that was found in satan that was propagated to us that the world believes in and that spiritual disposition toward life is what the world believes in so that is the key that is in them it is the idea or a concept of belief system propagated to us through satan that we are believing in and what is that belief system That through the knowledge of good and evil, we can be like God. Through the knowledge of good and evil, we can be like God. Working whatever principles, whatever philosophies, ideas, theologies, governments, through our knowledge of good and evil, we can be like God. That is the lie that the whole world believes on. And it is from who? What? Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, right? So who is in us as believers? The Spirit of God. Yeah. The Spirit of God is the reality that we have been enlivened by God. We have been born of God, and that's, that's a reality. But there's also a truth that comes to us through that spirit. And what is what is that truth? We're going to continue to read. Yes. Mo, forgive my ignorance, but I, I, I do want to understand this in a way that I can understand it, you know? Mm -hmm. As far as he who is in the world. So another way of saying, like, to be like God. Would another way of saying it that would be true is that <laughs> I can save myself. 
Like through my own flesh, I can make my own life work. Yes. And I can have, I can save myself and I can save my kinfolk and I don't need God. Is that the same idea as being like God? Absolutely. And honestly, that's what that's the that's the mind that was in Satan at the at the fall when when he fell. And he brought that mind to men, that same that same belief system. And but we have a father who is in heaven who wants to give us the thing that we think that we need to attain through human effort, through the work of men's hands. We want to attain to finding ourselves above the throne of God. But he wants us seated with him on his throne through faith, through believing something that causes that reality and disposition in our hearts. So, listen, but listen to this. But you, 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 you perfectly spot on with that. So he says, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, and he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth us not. Hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So how do we know the truth? He that heareth us, who is us? He that heareth us, it says, we're of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. Who is the us that he's speaking of? Well, John's writing this, but he's writing it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So what John's saying is, God sent the, the apostles and the prophets to communicate truth to us. And who you're hearing when you hear the word that it came to us through the apostles and the prophets is God. You're hearing God, he that heareth us, I'm sorry, we are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God does not hear us. Hereby we know we are the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Them that believe the scriptures, the testimony of the scriptures. Now, what is in these individual human hearts, we're talking about our hearts, that can cause a person to be distinctively different than everybody in the world, and at the same time, have the confident assurance of knowing that you are of the truth. Okay. Maybe I can phrase it a little different. Is there something that we can focus our hearts, minds, attention to 
to have the confidence that we need, need to know that we are of the truth, or that to, to know that we are of the truth. I call it the word of life. When you believe the word of life that came to you in Christ Jesus, that he has provided you with the life that we so desire and that we so need, when our heart's mind's attention are on the fact that he has provided us his life, we can have that confidence. He that heareth us, heareth him who sent us. Now, Listen to where he go, what he goes on to say. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. I'll say that again. In this was, the, was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So, what are we believing here? That the only life is in the Father. He has given us his life as a gift through the Son. That's exactly right. The scripture that comes to my mind is, he who has the Son has the life. That's right. So that we may know. That we have eternal life. That's right. You see, when you believe the testimony that came from God, that has come to us from God, the scriptures play a big part in that. We know that we have that life. We know that we have eternal life. And, and listen to what he goes on to say here in verse 10. He says, herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now, I got to tell you, when you think about like the religious theologies that are in the world, I looked up something the other day. Have you ever heard of the sin of uh, presumption? It's something in the Catholic Church that where they say you cannot presume to know that in the end you will be saved or that you have eternal life. Now, this article that I happened to read yesterday said, absolutely, that's not true. Wait, this was a Catholic site I was looking at. You can absolutely know that you have eternal life and that all your sins are forgiven. You can know that. The Catholic site said this. Today. Now, tomorrow, you can quit believing and you can commit a mortal sin, and you will not be in the kingdom of God. But right now, while you're believing, and while you, you're like, finding yourself sinless because you haven't committed a mortal sin, that is the most sick, perverted theology on the face of this earth. Now here, God, that we might know we have eternal life. And that that light that was in him now is in us. His life, right, 
now has become our life, right? right. If his life is my life, how could I ever possibly quit believing? I'm telling you, it's all from a carnal mindset. It's a carnal theology. Because when you look at people in the flesh, and when you look at people in the flesh, surely you probably know somebody who said, I believe in Jesus. And three years later, you see him down and he's like rejecting Jesus. Listen, I, had, I have a couple of people in my life that I've known who said I was a born again believer. I was a born again believer. And now I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God at all. So, people look at that, the theologians of the world, and they say, see, you can lose your salvation. He was born again, and now he, he doesn't know the Lord. He, he, he rejects God. But what is, what, what is that, where, where does that reasoning come from? Which God was he believing in to begin with? I'm sorry? Which God was he believing in to begin with? Right. Exactly. In other words, if there was a word that came to you communicating the thing, the type of thing that I'm, I'm saying here, that it is possible for you to believe and then be, be lost at some later point in time, that is the idea. That, that is not coming to us from God. That's coming to us from religion. Listen, when a person comes to see the word that has come to him that says I give them eternal life and no one shall snatch him out of my hand I am he is the one not us he is the one that keeps us the father is the one that keeps us and how does he keep us by giving us a life that becomes amalgamated with our lives to which there can be no separation. There is no separating from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's right. I think the problem is is we've substituted the word of life for the phrase of you must be born again. Mm -hmm. That's right. Right? Well, the word of life is not <laughs> in you must be born again. That's right. And so people go around telling everybody, you must be born again, but then they don't tell them the word of life. Exactly. So they go through some <laughs> system of being born again, but then they never even hear the word of life. Rather preach the word of life, and then they will be born from above. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, you don't be sorry. Listen, hearing is love, not that we love God, and which, by the way, you know, that's something else that religion teaches you that you must love God. Well, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. What does it mean that he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins? It means this, that whatever your concept of sin might possibly be, I don't care what, it, what, what your concept of sin is, Jesus hath purged us from our sins. Which sins? Which sins has he purchased from? The sins of the whole world. The sins of the whole world for all time. For by one sacrifice he hath perfected forever 
them that are sanctified. For by one sacrifice, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby we know we do, that we dwell in him and he in us because of the spirit he has given us. How do you know that you have this life? How do you know that you got the life? What did he just say? Somebody say, herein we know. How, how does he say it? Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. That's right. So it's the spirit of God within us that testifies to our spirit that we have been born of God, that his life is now our life, that we've been purged from all sin. It boggles my mind. I got to tell you, it boggles my mind, the theology that are out there, the things that are out there that people are believing in people are gravitating to that and they listen I, I had like a, 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 a disagreement on Facebook and I go back and forth with this guy over and over and he's got this elaborate theology about just some of what he said was actually true and some of it was just like completely ridiculous and we're going back and forth and I said let me let me just kind of nail this thing down. And in the midst of this conversation, I asked him, if somebody asked you, because he, he, he was talking about, uh, you know, God bringing judgment on the world and stuff like that. And I said, you know, you're communicating something pretty imminent, that there's an imminent danger of the world, you know, being, you know, ending and coming to destruction. If somebody asked you, what is the gospel? Mm. What would you say? Mm. And I got to tell you something. He could not tell me yeah. what the gospel was. Exactly. And he, he, I asked him that, and he said something kind of convoluted that didn't even make sense. And then, so I asked him again. I said, can you just tell me what the gospel is? I went up. I wouldn't want to betray his trust, so I'm not going to read what, you, what he said. But uh, here is a person who has a an elaborate theology that people follow, and he doesn't know what the gospel is. He's so why un... would he have a flawed theology? He's not unique in that, though. Oh no, that's not unique whatsoever. <laughs> right? No. So you come, you come prophesying of destruction, and then you don't tell people how they can be saved from the destruction. That's right. And 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 basically, that that's what I asked him. I said, you need to you need to share with us if 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 the destruction is coming, share with me how to be saved from the destruction. And he he just could not do it. And, and listen, my purpose in interacting with him like that was not to say, I know something you don't know. 
or to uh, belittle him or to make him look bad in front of the people that believe in him. It was none of that. I was just trying to expose to him something that how can you be prophesying such things and not be able to say this is the gospel for his benefit not for my benefit not to make me not to get likes on Facebook or anything like that for his benefit that he might see man maybe I'm missing something that he might be saved that he might be saved did you tell him what the gospel is yes yes I did did, did you did you pick up that breath yeah you did okay. I see all your friends oh, <laughs> you? you, you spying on no me. I got you in my favorite so I see when you comment Oh really? I think so. I can read it. Yeah, I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah, man. If people are talking about the gospel, I want to hear what they have to say. Amen. Okay. People know the gospel. I want to hear what they say. Absolutely. I tell you what. So, but it's interesting. At the beginning of this thing, we're talking about confusion. It says, "Beloved, don't believe every spirit that's in the world, mm-hmm. because many false prophets have gone out into the world." Interesting. Turn with me, if you would, to First uh, Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two, the very beginning. Now, so Paul goes to the Corinthian church, and. This church is just a bunch of people in Corinth, some who have come to believe, some maybe who have not come to believe, some people who are spiritually minded, some who, you know, lack a a lot of knowledge. But he wanted to communicate them something that they could understand and that could kind of bring them along. But before he communicated that, he wanted him, he wanted them to know where he was coming from. So listen to what listen to what uh, what Paul writes chapter two. He says, "I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you." in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Listen, the gravity of the message that the apostle, he wasn't fearful, he wasn't weak, and but there was, he felt, he knew the gravity of what he was communicating to these people. And that's where that fear and trembling came from. And my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So Paul is communicating to people, listen, what I'm communicating to you does not come from man. It comes from the spirit of God who 
is revealing to me these truths you guys need to hear. But he speaks of wisdom among them that are perfect or mature, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that are coming to naught. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For if they had known, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is, as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the mind of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Think about that word coming to your ears right now. But God had revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. For who, for what man knoweth things of a man save the spirit of a man within him? That's why Marie can't know me and I can't know Marie. Not really. Because we'd have to share our hearts and minds and that can't take place. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that God has freely given us. Now, you know how we read in, in 1 John where, uh, where John said, we're of God and we receive the things that come from God. Mm -hmm. Well, Paul is basically saying the same thing here. He says, for what man knows the things of a man save the spirit of man with him. And no man knows the things of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God that we might have <coughs> what God has freely given us. And what has he freely given us? What has God freely given us? His spirit. He's given us his, his, his life. I, you know, it's a curious thing about the life that he's given us. What what is what are the peculiarities about this life? First of all, right? Isn't it called eternal life? Yeah. It's eternal. What else can we say about this life that he has freely given us, that the Spirit is testifying to us that we have? What you said, freely given. It's a gift. It's a gift. What is it about that life? What about the fact that it is, we call it eternal, but it's indestructible. An indestructible life. Now, can this life be corrupted in any way? No, it's incorruptible. No. So it's an incorruptible life. It's been tried and tested. It's a life that is tried. I like that. And tested. I like that. 
Listen, how was that life tried and tested? At the cross. At the cross. Listen, the life we have is a life that came from him who died on the cross for us. And listen, that life remained faithful to God through the cross. Yeah, you could add proven, tried and tested and, and proven. proven. Tried, tested and proven. Listen, that life, the life he has given us, is anybody out there in the TV line, that life is sinless. If his life is sinless, and his life is our life, do we have a sinless life? Absolutely. Now, can you imagine, by the way, of everything we talked about here, most people would say, you know, agree with that. But when it comes down to that sinless thing, yeah, people got a problem. With it. <laughs> you know why they would have that problem? Right ding, ding, ding. What happens is because people's belief systems are not based on the indestructible life they've been given in Christ. It's not, it's not, that's not what it's on. That's not what their faith is in. Their faith is in their theology. Okay? Their theology. And you know what? You open up your book, the first John, like we're reading from the, one of the latter chapters, and it says, anyone that says he's without sin, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. <clears throat> now, how does that relate to my saying that if we have the life of God, that life is sinless? I mean, it, it does seem like a conundrum, doesn't it? Yeah. Or a contradiction, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. you got to know who he's talking to. Right. Without any explanation. There's, there's a verse of scripture in, uh, in the latter part of 1 John that says this. Anyone who is born of God, then not. Actually, he says that in two separate locations in that in same uh, chapter. Sinneth not. So if you sinneth not, how can you have sin? If you're born of God, you sinneth not. And why, how, why is it that a believer sinneth not. Because they don't believe they can find life in their own strength. Absolutely. They trust, they trust and abide in, in Christ That's right. for life. It's Absolutely. Galatians 2.20. Yep. And just from a, uh, a rational thought, okay, if his life is now our life, and his life is clearly sinless. How can there be sin in it? Sure. Now, somebody would say, are you saying you don't do anything that's wrong? Absolutely not. But guess what? Paul himself said, listen, 
if there's something that's manifesting on, on my outside, that, that ain't me doing it. Mm -hmm. That is not who I am that is doing that. But sin living in mm -hmm. my members, that it, it is, is still possibly there. But that sin is no longer imputed to your account. Period. people walk that said when it says if we say that we have no sin that would be talking about the people that say they have fellowship with him but walk in darkness it'd be the people saying that they're from god but they haven't believed on the word of life those are the people that he says if those people say they have no sin then they're like because you can't be walking in the darkness you can't reject the word of life you can't say that Christ Jesus didn't come in the flesh, or that immortality wasn't manifested in the flesh. You can't deny that truth and say you have fellowship with God. Absolutely. So you can't come and say you have no sin if you've rejected the sinless life. That's the point he's making there. So he's not talking about everybody. He's talking about the people that are walking in the darkness. The people walking in the darkness say they have no sin. They're alive. That's right. Right? The people that have rejected the word of life, if they say they're without sin, they're liars. That's the, the, the context. Amen. Just for anybody watching that might stumble over that. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, so Paul continues on here, and he says, Well, what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man with him? Even so, the... Uh, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. But we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is of God, that we might know the things that were freely given us. Which also we speak not in words of man's wisdom, but through the Holy Ghost teaching, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they are, they are spiritually discerned. But we, but, but he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he might instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now can you imagine that? But the natural man receiveth not the things that come from the Spirit of God. That's why the idea of our possessing that life is so foreign to religious theology today. And it should be primary to religious theology. It should be primary to it. You can't understand God. You can't. You can't really know God unless you have that life. And for you to be able to explain God, you have to begin to understand that this was what it was all pointing to. I, I tell you what, that's all you got to do is read the, the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 17, that we might be one with him even as he is with the Father that that was his whole purpose of coming into the world, that we might be one with him even as he is with the Father. Right. 
All right, turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 10. Listen to this. He that descended is the same also that ascended above, far above all heaven, that he might fill all things. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints that the work of ministry, for the work of ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So now this is God who descended, also ascended above all things, that he might fill all things with him. And he gave gifts to men. And those gifts were to the edifying of the body of Christ. Until all come to unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Now, just to kind of get back to what I was talking to earlier about us being individuals. Uh, there can only be an edified, unified body when we come into... with, with the scriptures are calling here the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. How can how would you define what a perfect man might look like? How, how would you define that? How would you how would you define someone who had received nutrients from the head, which is the Father, and is growing in in the truth about this. How does he define the edifying of the body until we become unified in the faith? So how 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 would you? What would this perfect man look like? What would you know? What's <laughs> ah, there? You go, man. <laughs> Looking at you're right. You're right about that. The perfect man is a man who knows that he has a life that cannot be overcome by sin and death. That's right. And it is so ridiculously easy. Yeah. Religion, you know what, it, I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> if you don't have a whole bunch of different things to teach people. You could be out of a job. And if people, this is what's in the mind of the theologians. Okay? If people actually, it, you know, it'd be like if somebody came up with a cure for cancer. It would be very difficult for the people who are out there trying to cure cancer to let go of the fact that there's a cure for cancer because they'd lose their job. Yes. Hospitals I mean, 
Listen, cancer, I think, is either the number two or the number three cause of death in the world. First is cardiovascular disease. I looked that up the other day. And there is so much research. By the way, I'm involved in that to some degree. Okay, But if somebody actually came up with a cure for cancer, I don't know if they'd let, them, let anybody know. <laughs> I'm afraid they might not let them know because that's where their all jobs are. That's where they make their money. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying this is happening or this is what people are doing. People are legitimately, caringly researching cancer and treatments for cancer. That's a good thing. But if anybody ever came up with a cure, they may be hesitant to tell them anybody. Because there's so much money in, involved in that. Their job. Now, I'd like, I'm, theologically, if somebody said, it's finished. It's finished. You somebody got did say that. Huh? Somebody did say that. Somebody yeah. did say that. Jesus said that <laughs> from the cross. If somebody said it's finished, you got the life. You have eternal life of eradicated sin from all humanity, in particular where it comes to you because you have believed on me. And when you believed on me, your sins you can consider and you know there is nothing between you and I and that you have been given this eternal life, this indestructible life. You're going to live forever. And you believe that and that's all you really need to know. Now, i got to tell you something. There's a depth to the gospel that you could teach on it forever. That's why uh, John would write, I suppose if all the books were written of the things that Jesus has done were written, the whole world could not contain the books. So you could talk about the Lord for a very long time and know the very truth that I'm talking about. But I'm going to tell you something. It is finished. And we can walk in unity in confidence in only one way. There's only one way. Knowing that it is finished. But when you got that in your mind, that it's finished, you and I can walk in unity and in confidence in life. We can have <laughs> unity within the body, believing that that is true. Amen. Anybody have any thoughts about that? I think the way you piece together all those scriptures, there's a whole lot that could be said. Oh, I think I could go on. Many beautiful things about what you say. Listen to this. Just to finish up here. what he says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro carried away with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they, they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ from whom the body is jointly fitted together compacted by the by that which every joint supplieth 
according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh every maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So, like I was talking about the individual, you know who you're responsible to? You're not responsible to me, and I'm not responsible to you. You can't make a church. I cannot make a church. You can't make a church function with all of your, your wisdom and intellect and scheming and can't make a church work. There's only one thing that makes a church work. Becoming unified in the reality that it, that it is finished. We got something to tell people. And you know what we got something? It's finished. Eternal life. The forgiveness of sins. It's fully accomplished. Believe on him. That's how simple the gospel message is. And that message is unifying. But when you get into trying to figure out what day the Lord's going to return on, and listen, I know the Lord's going to return. And <laughs> I'll look around and say, maybe might be soon. But when that is really your focus, and you can't even communicate to people that they have eternal life, that that life was a gift, that it, it, we have an incorruptible life, that has been tried and tested in Jesus, and that that life is sinless. If you can't communicate that to people, they just walk in, in a bunch of gobbledygook, confusion that causes separation and fear. Look at the world that we're living in, whether it be secular or religious, it's a ball of confusion, and what's out there is confusion and, and the result in fear. But guess what? We, we got we ain't got that. What we got? Unity and confidence. You know, I was I was thinking about. I looked at the board the other day after I did it, and I went off. And uh, you know what that made me think about? You know what the the motto of the state of Louisiana is? Union, justice, confidence. Union, justice, and confidence. And I was driving home thinking about the state motto, union, justice, and confidence. And I said, listen, how many of somebody who knew the Lord came up with that, with that statement? Because let me tell you, what the world really desires is unity, we want justice, and we want confidence. But I'll tell you what, you know where, where it first emanates from? It comes from us having justice. And the reason why justice is so important is because what justice truly is, is to have things, it, it, it's not punishment of wrongdoers. We, justice is gonna be, we're gonna get the criminals out the way and then we're gonna be, everything's gonna be good. Justice is making things meet, making things as they should be. And in Jesus, Jesus makes things as they should be, right here. I can't control anybody else out there. Jesus makes things 
as they should be. Right here. And when we know that, and he knows that, and she knows that, and he knows that, we're connected to the head, being supplied by the nutrients in, in, the, in, the, in the life that is found in him. And he, she, and you, and you can come together and just enjoy life together. Because we don't have anything to fear, not even death. Yeah, justice is found in a sinless life. Justice is found in a sinless life. A, a, a life that has been freed from sin and death. Actually, from death in the sin that results from that death. And listen, I want to tell you something. This over here, this isn't just confusion, but it's confusion and death. <laughs> you may have to look a little bit closer. But that's confusion and death. Now, we're in the world, right? But we're not of the world. Now, the person who's in the world can function in the world. See all this stuff coming through on Facebook and everything, Twitter or whatever it is. But what we got that enables us to have confidence in this world of confusion is the truth. It's the spirit that he has given us that causes us that confidence. Anybody have any thoughts? Uh, yes, Carol. As you uh, were sharing, it just kept coming to my mind. Um, the more we know ourselves as we have always been known. And I just, one of the things, I, many things I love down here, but are those live oak trees that are just massive and they just, you know, there's nothing. I mean, I suppose there are some hurricanes, but they just sit there. And yes. they're at peace and they're live no movement you know the more we be the more we know as we have always been known yeah you know we really rent. when you think about it carol we, we don't really know ourselves until we come to experience that life and and come to experience the the cleansing of god in our own consciences yeah. because when, when you feel you are at enmity and that God is against you because of your behavior, you are constantly manufacturing for yourself a life that, that is full of confusion, separation, and fear. So you're not behaving like you were meant to behave, but you're also not knowing yourself the way he knows you. But listen, when Jesus, man, I got to tell you something. I, I've been thinking about this recently, talked about it a number of times, but the thief on the cross next to Jesus. I got it. That is just this mind-boggling thing where this guy nailed on a cross. And, you know, when, when, you, when you hear the story of that, they tell you initially that 
they, both of these thieves, hurled insults on him along with the people. But at some point in time, this guy looks over at Jesus. So he's cursing Jesus. One minute. He's a thief. And I'm going to tell you, it's like I say, the fact that he's a thief was probably the least of his problems. Okay? This guy was not a good guy at all. It wasn't like, well, I got caught thieving. I'm sorry, Jesus. Can I go into your kingdom now? This guy was a malefactor, whatever that is, but it don't sound good to me. And he was nailed to the cross next to Jesus. And he looks over here and he sees Jesus saying, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he sees these events happening. He sees the love of Christ, the faith of Christ pouring out of him at the cross. And he looks over there and he says, man, this guy, this guy is God. Along, not only does he see it, but one of the guys, one of the centurions crucifying says, surely this is the son of God. But he sees this. Never did a good thing in his life. Never got baptized. Never spoke in tongues. Never did nothing. He looks over there and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, surely as I stand here nailed on the cross, you will be with me in paradise this day. No good works gets a person into, into heaven. No good works gets us into heaven. No good works sanctify us. The only thing that causes us to be who we were meant to be is to believe <laughs> on the Son for the eternal life that he seemed to give us. I like the uh, comparison between the peace and the, the confusion and the, the contrast instead of the confusion in order. The, re the, world, the world can only ever bother confusion because the world can never bring forth a sinless life. The only way for confusion to be removed is a sinless life. And none of the world's governments, none of the world's systems, none of its philosophies can ever produce a sinless life. It can only bring forth more confusion. So the union and the justice and what was the other? Confidence. Confidence. No offense to the state of Louisiana, it can never give you any no, of those things absolutely. because it can never produce a sinless life. Yeah. And in fact, the very system it produces will only bring more confusion yeah. because none of it will produce a sinless life. And so I I love that contrast and I, I love what Jesus, I was re reading in Luke, it says, and as, as, and as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me. And I just thought that's so powerful, because you're talking about First John. And he who confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and he who doesn't is not of God. And there's Jesus in the flesh possessing a sinless life now. 
Yeah, because they come out of the grave free from death, never to be able to die again. And they're thinking it might be a spirit, but he's wanting to give them peace from the chaos and the confusion. So he shows them his hands and his feet. No, it's me. Remember, I was nailed to the tree. Remember my body? Look at it. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's me. I'm not a spirit. Here I am in the flesh. And notice how my flesh has been cleansed from sin. I have a sinless life. Peace be unto you. And there he is ministering peace to us. Peace from the chaos and the confusion that the world followed. Yes. Right? And the way he ministers peace to us from all that nonsense is he ministers a sinless life to us. Right? And yeah, it, yeah. it calms the storm. <laughs> Quietness yes. is one of the meanings of that word peace. Yeah. And when you, like you spoke beautifully said, when, when you realize that God has come in the flesh to serve you with a sinless life, free from your works, it will shut the voices up. That's right. It will stop every voice in the world. It will bring quietness to all the thoughts, all the statements, all the doctrines, all the philosophies, all the political systems. It will quiet all those voices, and it will send confusion away from you. Yep. It, 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 and it's so true what you said, man. The, the simplicity, but the depth of what you brought out today. Um, if you can just be persuaded of what it means that you have a sinless life, confusion will be far from you. Yep. Chaos will be far from you. Fear will be far from you. And all the voices in the world will grow very dim. Yeah. Right? What's that, what's that hymn? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Amen. A sinless life. Sinless. See, we've said all these cliches and sang all these songs that yeah. we never saw what they were about. Yeah. Right. Right? Like we read things that say, he who confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Well, that doesn't mean to just say that sentence. <laughs> That's not what it yeah. means. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is that God has brought to light the promise of immortality. And he has brought it to light in the flesh of this man, Jesus. And what that means is it means that God has come to give us a sinless life, right? That God is with us to serve us with the sinless life. Now, he who confesses that God has come to give them a sinless life, right? They're from God. Yep. They're born of God, right? Because that's what Jesus testifies. Yep. And it's just beautiful, man, the way you connected all that. Yeah, they, they, listen, there, there's a word that comes to you, but the word doesn't necessarily translate to understanding. And it requires the spirit to reveal that to a human being. That's why somebody can say, have had a, like a religious experience and been involved with the church and equate that with having been born again and in know the terminology and say, yeah, I was a born-again Christian, just like these other people. But that doesn't mean that there was a revealed knowledge of God. There, there was not one. I can tell you there was not one. And, but when a person, when the truth comes and the Spirit of God connects that and you begin to see the reality that you have that life and that your sins have been eradicated and death has been eradicated from you, all of a sudden, it's like, this is, now I know. Now I know. Now I have been born of God. Anyway, we'll leave it at that. Let's pray. Was it, can oh, I just say, once yes. you started, I, I thought a song in my mind is, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. <laughs> that, that hymn just says it so much.
much. Amen. Clearly. Mm -hmm. He is ours. It's the assurance. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we uh we thank you for this Father's Day. We think about uh all the fathers in the world and uh what this day means to them, not because they are fathers so much, but because of the love that they have for their children. And uh it uh it just makes me so thankful toward you because I know the love I have for my daughter. And and if you if you love her, us, half as much as I love my daughter, you love us. And it, it's just natural for, for us to love our children and think nothing but the best of them, hope nothing but the best of them, and uh and Lord, that is who you are to us. You are head over the entire household of God. It is it is your mind, Lord, that it, that is in the spirit of God and the spirit of your Son, and and that spirit is a spirit of life and truth and in grace. And uh, Lord, uh, what a father! A father that stands the test and has been proven at the cross. We love you, Lord, and thank you for being our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.